Hello and welcome back to Oh God It Burns, your buyer's guide to bad comics. Now having just covered our reactions to the news that Dan DiDio had left DC, which you can listen to in the previous episode, we felt that it was necessary to take a short break from Miller's tragic sequels to the Dark Knight Returns universe and focus our attention briefly on some of the worst stories to be published under DiDio's run. Thankfully, we didn't have to put too much extra work into it, since we had already recorded a handful of unpublished episodes that we decided were too rough to ever see the light of day, but now they seem pretty relevant. And among them were 2009's seven-issue superhero tribute to misery porn, Justice League Cry for Justice by legendary writer James Robinson, and its follow-up Rise of Arsenal by J.T. Kroll. Now, as we touched on last episode, following fan outcry to DC Comics putting the kibosh on Batwoman's marriage, Dan DiDio took to the forums and responded to fans thusly. Heroes shouldn't have happy personal lives. They are committed to being that person and committed to defending others at the sacrifice of their own personal interests. That's very important and something we reinforced. It's wonderful that they try to establish personal lives, but it's equally important that they set them aside. That is our mandate, that is our edict, and that is our stand. Thank you, Dan. And for my money and yours, there's no series that better exemplifies DiDio's decree and how horribly it can backfire than Justice League Cry for Justice. So join Bruno and I as we cry, shout justice, and cry while shouting justice in the series that is destined to stand out as the crown jewel in your long box of cursed and forbidden comics on this week's episode of... Oh God, it burns. All right, ladies and gentlemen, welcome back. My name is Nick. My name is Bruno. And this is... Oh God, it burns! Now, last week, we... Uh, actually, two weeks ago... I'm kind of getting all my stuff. Uh, we talked to you about one of my personal favorite rotten comics in all of history. That was Ultimatum. And then uh, not content with this, Bruno said, I've got the perfect counterpart for Ultimatum. I've got to say, my counterpart is uh, DC's Cry for Justice. It's like everything Ultimatum shouldn't be and more. Yeah, like entertaining? <laughs> <laughs> True. <laughs> I gotta tell you, I, I read a lot of comics. Religiously, I'll go back to the worst comics I've ever read, and I, like once a year, just kind of jam through them. Like Bruce Jones Hulk, I can kill that. Like not the first part's actually really good. So the last couple like story arcs where it just really falls apart, I can go through that and I can eat it up. I'm like, oh man, this is terrible. And most of the time, I'm reading something bad. I know it's terrible, and it's almost like the writer even subconsciously knows that it's pretty bad but is still writing their ass off to try and come up with something. And then we get to something like Cry for Justice, which has none of the passion that you would usually get from really terribly, truly awful comics. See, here's the thing. For me, it is like a love letter to uh, the DC Universe pre the new 52 reboot so it has a little bit of history so i know you're not the biggest dc fan so that's not so that's why but like it ties into a lot of other storylines so if you kind of don't want to sit there and read through all those great storylines which i recommend that you do you can kind of read this and be like oh yeah i remember that's what happened oh that's what's going on with this character but then like the story itself was really so does it make sense outside of the context of all those big stories outside of blackest night outside of superman going off to new krypton outside of Wonder Woman doing her thing outside of Final Crisis where freaking Batman and Martian Manhunter got the ass. Does this make any sense whatsoever going back and reading it without any context for that history? Well, there's, there's some context. The, the biggest thing going on there is you kind of hit it on the head. Um, during this time with DC, you had all these characters. The, the, the main trinity, the trinity was gone. Batman was axed at the very end of Final Crisis. Martian Manhunter, long known as like the fourth member of the Trinity, was gone. Um, so there was a big hole there. And then you got Superman flying off to New Krypton. So he's basically off the DC Universe's map. And then Wonder Woman still reeling from both, snapping Maxwell Lord's neck and the attack of the Amazons. She's off doing her own thing as, like, her stories get more, like, myth-focused and dealing with, like, the gods and New Olympians, which was, like, the race that was supposed to replace the Amazons. So you have basically all of DC and you have none of the main chess pieces. So you're, you're playing chess with pawns. And this is actually the problem. Like I, I know I'm not the big DC guy, but I actually did follow a lot of the Justice League leading up to here. And I remember Brad Meltzer kicked off. It was the Red Tornado. Yep. I don't 
particularly remember how that storyline went, but I remember just being like, well, that was pretty cool. Uh, I think like, having been a fan of his uh, Identity Crisis at the, t- at the time. Yeah. <laughs> at the time, At the time, crisis. everybody <laughs> loved Identity Crisis, but then it's like it didn't You go really... back to it, and it, it does it's not. It's not well, no. It's <laughs> well at all. But, uh, and then even his Green Lantern run, I mean, not Green Lantern, Green Arrow run was really good, which he did with Phil Hester, picking up from Kevin Smith, yeah. and then he kind of landed over here in Justice League, and... He had some of the major players, but then to follow it up, Dwayne McDuffie, the great Dwayne McDuffie, who did a really, like, he's the king of just getting short shrifted on really good runs. Like, he followed up J. Michael Straczynski's, like, not that great (laughs) Fantastic Four run, did a little bit before Mark Miller. He also came into Justice League. One of the first things they told him was, like, oh, yeah, all those big guys, you can't have them. They're just like, but this is the Justice League. How come I can't have them? I was like, you can't have them. Nope. So he just kind of like pieced stuff together and he was famously miserable. And it was one of the last things he wrote before he died, <laughs> which is which is terrible in and of itself. And then when they came to it, they're like, you know, what? we got to do something really big with the Justice League, really kind of like mix it up. Let's go ahead and hire James Robinson, the guy who brought back the JSA in the 90s. Let's bring back the guy who uh, rocketed Starman, Starman to was stardom yeah. and let's make him beholden to the same constraints we've given everyone else where it's just like you can't have the big guys no no the big guys are off the table you gotta go ahead and make the team admitting admittedly when they announced the lineup you were interested you're like how is I this was. gonna work i mean you got a freaking golden gorilla i mean that alone sells you on it like, was a golden gorilla a gay blue alien yeah and what else uh, <laughs> like, at, the, at, at the time we had red game. arrow who was riding a high <laughs> As he finally stopped being called Speedy, uh, you know, left his Arsenal identity behind, really came into his own, and dude was hooking up with Hawkgirl. Like, he, he was living that life. So he was the seasoned, like, you know, the new Wally West, the, the teen hero turned, like, adult mm-hmm. superhero. It was Supergirl, Freddie Freeman, Shazam. Yeah. It was also head by two Justice League, still, like, longtime uh, Justice League members. It was Green Arrow and Green Lantern, who by themselves, like, had a really cool, like, almost industry-defining series back with Neil Adams and Denny O'Neill back in the, I think, the 70s, where, like, well, both of them bring were... both of them back again. I was like, both of them like are hot great... off the, like, the rebirth trail. Both of them, their rebirth series are, are, like, the pinnacle of, like, you know, a great way to bring characters back. Mm-hmm. Um, you had Oliver Queen coming back without a soul and having to do that whole thing. That was, I believe, Kevin Smith's run. That wasn't Rebirth. That was, wasn't it? Rebirth is... After DC was just like, New 52 was kind of bullshit. Let's go ahead and rebirth them. Oh. You're thinking of, this is post-Infinite Crisis. You're this right. Is the, whole you're right. Post, the one year later. Okay, one year later one year is what l- you're thinking. No, this is pre-one year later. Post. This, the uh, Cry for Justice? Yeah. This was after... 2009. I thought one year later was after that. No, you're right. No, you're right. You're right. Yep. You're right. You're right. Nah, don't argue with me. I, I'll, give you, I'll give you that one. I will. This give is you. I. I. For the record, this is one of the few times I'm going to be right about a DC thing. This is true. This is true. <laughs> and it's because one year later was one of my favorite times to be reading. Like I ate up everything, and then uh, this kind of kind of got shit out onto the zeitgeist as That's... this big friggin' deal comic book, and it fell with such a thud. That it was almost irredeemable. So, Bruno, can you do your best uh, two-minute recap of what this plot is? All right. Um, let's go ahead. Uh, cry for justice. The first thing you you need to know is that every character that's on this page will cry for justice at least once. Literally crying, literally screaming justice, it, it, and it, literally it, crying while screaming justice. I'm not going to lie. This came out at the perfect time. I was in college, and to me, it made the perfect drinking game because you could literally get blasted <laughs> just taking a shot every time it said justice on the page. Um, but... Giving to the actual storyline of it, uh, it's pretty simple. Um, all these characters, um, different things. Uh, it starts off with Hal Jordan and Green Arrow basically staring down the current uh, iteration of the Justice League and saying, look, you guys have been too passive. What we're doing isn't working. It didn't Because of us being only proactive after the events are done, we've lost Batman, freaking Batman, and the heart of the team, Martian Manhunter. And his killer is still out there. We can't do anything, like, about Batman, but we we should be able to go after his killer and make sure that this doesn't happen again. We need to be a proactive team to fight for justice, not to sit there and be a response team afterwards. So all these other characters are um, all trying to 
discover things. All of them have been wrong in some way. In some cases, like, there have been preventing robberies. People that they know and love have been attacked. All of this. And it basically comes together that each one of them, like, the thing that they're trying to avenge um, and try to go ahead and write... Um, all ties together because they're all either like robberies or people like losing possessions, things like that. And you, they come to find out that they, the person that's responsible for this is Prometheus, who up until now has been one of the biggest laughing stocks. Actually, the he DC was a, he's a really strong character, but he always ends in like almost a punchline. We will definitely get into that later. <laughs> uh, there will be more talk of that, a brief little history of Prometheus. But for the time being, um, he's currently been regarded as a joke character. And then they capture him and come to find out that... Ooh, thunder. Yep. <laughs> Add to the ambiance. <laughs> yeah. uh, they come to find out... Cue thunder. You, you, gotta, uh, you gotta wait to uh, almost anticipate, say, Prometheus. <laughs> Lucky coincidence. <laughs> um, but Prometheus was actually this huge mastermind who at the first time they had him wasn't even him it was clayface pretending to be him stating that he's the new batman of the supervillains and then they come to find out when they actually do catch him that this is all part of his plan and he basically um has been collecting all of this stuff and uh, like attacking all these people to get these items to essentially make the hero suffer because he's been a laughing stock so he wants to make them suffer so he's gonna take all of their cities and misplace them through time and space. So all of the heroes are going to feel the loss, um, knowing that their cities are somewhere, but they'll never be able to find them. That was his grand master plan. Of course, the devices don't work, and the cities start actually getting destroyed. So the heroes have to make a decision. Do they, they have Prometheus? Do they let him go um, to go ahead and save the cities? Because everything they try, he's like... I've got to counter for it. Mm-hmm. Um, or do they try to do it? And everything they t- try to do is failing, so they finally make the tough decision to just let the man go. And they manage to save all but one city. You'll find out which one a little bit later. Um, and then you get the big reveal that uh, after everything that happens, Oliver Queen decides to strike one more for justice and put a arrow right between uh, Prometheus's head. And uh, the series basically ends on a note that Oliver Queen, you know, has crossed the line of what was justice, and there is a significant loss akin to a, you know, very true terrorist attack in the DC universe, and all the heroes are reeling from it, and some are broken far worse than, uh, you know, is manageable for a superhero, like almost like real-world consequences to the comic book so in that aspect it's really cool because there is a parallel to real life like there were things that were done here that led to consequences outside the series and kept going now those consequences weren't handled so well as you'll find out on our next on our next episode but it does it does show the parallel what starts as a very cartoony superhero for justice becomes a real world parallel for terrorism. Now, everything that you just said, I'm kind of hanging on it. I'm like, man, this is actually a really cool plot. And I'm, I'm assuming that when James Robinson pitched this one, he like threw his dick on the table and he's just like, yeah, man, it's going to be good. And then they chose his lineup and his lineup was super interesting, as we've already said. And then he came to the execution. And he was just like, all right, who's my artist? There's like this guy named uh, Marcelo Cassioli or something like that. <laughs> And it's just like, awesome, he's got like this cool painted style, this is going to be like a big prestige book. It's going to be like the next Alex Ross, is what they were banking on. Mm -hmm. It's like painted styles, man, you can't go wrong with this. This is an important book, and I think it's that mentality that they went in thinking that this was going to be a major important book. Almost something that's like talked about generations down the line. This is DC's too big to fail. Like, there was no way that this was going to end badly. But, yeah. <laughs> it ended badly. It started badly. <laughs> it started really badly. We had two glimmers of hope, and those are the Prometheus issues. And everything else, you're like, what? Because how the hell are you going to have two of your characters be a golden gorilla teaming up with a gay blue alien and then almost forget about them for the entire series after like some of the most captivating moments in the series. Not to mention that every cover pitched stuff that didn't actually happen, or didn't happen for very long. Oh, you mean like the first cover where they had the Legion of Doom 
on it and you're like, man, there's going to be some big A-list Justice League villains. It's like, no, none of them were in there. Nope. There's no Bizarro. There's no Joker. There's no Lex Luthor. There's no Captain Cold. They were what on you vacation. Our, our little shit throwers like the Javelin <laughs> specifically focused on D-list characters that Prometheus was trying to get to be their patsies to like throw everything in. The disarray. All, all, the Legion of Doom was on vacation. That's what happened. Yeah, so that was their <laughs> fucking postcard to the Justice League <laughs> that they made the first cover. <laughs> but, yeah, no, they definitely just amped it up and did not deliver what was promised, which is a shame because, they're like I said, the, the, the Prometheus issues alone would have made just a great series. Just mm-hmm. everything from his point of view would have been perfect, but... Yeah the hero part he just i don't think he knew the heroes he's like i'm just gonna pick some real cool oddball heroes throw them out there i don't know anything about them anything about what's been going on with them but it'll all work out well he knew starman but this wasn't the real starman this <laughs> no was like this, his, was a, this was the other starman or something yeah. like that right I, I, but they, still he should have had a good handle on it and and the thing that kind of irks me the most about this less so than the focus of it which i think was like the focus was all over the place was that none of the characters felt like real characters or even true to themselves in the slightest. It all felt like some guy just posturing from his keyboard and just being like, every single word he chose specifically would be like, how can I make this seem like it's the most important line ever? And when you put that weight on it the whole time, yeah. like it desensitizes you big time to the point where you're just reading these and you're like, oh yeah, I get it. When's it going to happen? Because you don't even it's, see someone throw a punch no. until the main artist goes off and then is replaced by his colorist for, like, the fight issues, basically. Yeah, no, the whole series was basically just stills of posters and people posturing and delivering Beautiful posters, de- delivering <laughs> speeches that just never yielded. Like, I would love to buy a book that was just, like, the unused artwork for, these is- for the series, but I don't... There was nothing about the, like, series as a whole with the artwork that was really redeeming unless you're looking up for like close-ups of like yeah characters. like they get they got the females right like you can't say that they didn't <laughs> well, i mean the artwork <laughs> the artwork they got it right on the art they, they got it right on the artwork but that's <laughs> yeah. about it everything else was just kind of a, are you talking about when uh uh donna troy and starfire make their appearances for no reason whatsoever and they're constantly in, bikinis, in bikinis just constantly in bikinis, constantly in bikinis. even after like it, the, the guys but they literally show up at their first appearance in this is in string bikinis Bikinis hanging out with Animal Man and his family by the pool. Because that was a thing that had been happening after their the one year later when they were in space. Oh, the, the Ranthanagarian Wars. And then they came back and they were just like chilling on like quote unquote <clears throat> retirement. And then you've got a giant golden gorilla and a gay blue alien show up at your door and say like, we need to talk. They still don't think it's time to suit up. They walk them back out yard like Animal Man sitting there in his bathing suit. He's like, we're making hot dogs. And they're just talking. And the whole time the girls are still in their bikinis. So I'm like, all right, well, the artwork is lovely, but that's that's pretty much where it lies. And the dialogue. Oh, dear God, the dialogue. This is the axe cop of its day. It, it was written by what is like it looks like he had his five year old come in and write for like ghost write for him. Yeah, because the whole first issue reads like what happens if a five year old could paint. Now a, I've got a I've DC got a theory about this. I, I'd love to hear my it. theory is that James Robinson went to DC and was just like, you know how some of those encyclopedia editions you put out is like really good. What if we put out a book of nothing but like the best justice quotes to live by? kind of like a poor richard's almanac of justice and then they just put art to it because that literally is all this book is good for is like going back and getting like pull quotes for some things because isolated they don't sound too bad but all together like i said it desensitizes you to everything that's happening with it that's that's true i mean you got Mm -hmm. literally every, every line in here is like green lantern calls green arrow knee jerk liberal like you've got quotes Right, even when they call out, like the first, the last page is the golden grill just jumping out at you, screaming out justice. Oh, I thought he said bunghole. <laughs> no, that, that was Nick Fury. That was Nick Fury. <laughs> but yeah, it's yeah. The last splash page of issue number one has three words on it, and one third of that is justice. But it's accompanied by a giant golden gorilla jumping at you. And that giant golden gorilla also, like, tears the hell out of a bunch of planes in the air, too, as they're going across the world. And none of this really ever comes together and makes any sense whatsoever. And then it's revealed at the end 
that Freddie Freeman, Shazam, and Supergirl, who've been like almost hooking up the whole time, this like ongoing joke, like, oh, they're young lovers. Look at them getting up. But there's no character development whatsoever no. with this. It's just like the next issue shows up, and it's just like, oh, we're boyfriend and girlfriend now. Yeah, pretty, pretty much. It's <laughs> like, oh, it's like, oh, we're, we're snogging. We're, it's a thing. It's a thing. And then the big reveal is that when they're in the watchtower, that Shazam was actually Prometheus the whole time, and then he kills, it doesn't kill Arsenal, but he I think it's beats a, the hell out of him. I think it's a JLA satellite. I it's don't, a JLA satellite. I don't know. Was it before the watchtower? I, I think it was, yeah, I was thinking it was It was before. a satellite. Because that was the whole thing, is like he needed an inn. He needed an escort. Yeah. Which... Is, like is, a, is that kind of wrong that he said he needed an escort and he says this to the female superhero? I need an escort. Supergirl. <laughs> it's like, Ever since Michael Turner redesigned your costume, I've been getting some real heavy vibes from you, girl. I'm just saying, like, I need an escort in every sense of the word. <laughs> <laughs> He's making out with her and stuff. Actually, I think it was just a... I think the cover was... I think it was just a cover. The cover was making out with her, but they my... definitely hinted at the fact that the characters were into one another. Yeah. Um... And, and then, by the way, once everything goes down, and after uh, Prometheus as Shazam cuts off Arsenal's arm, or I think it was like the Red Arrow at this time, yeah. Roy Harper's arm, and then she's just like, I knew there was something wrong with you the whole time. I was like, well, why didn't you step up? <laughs> I mean, like, you're, 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 a, you're, you're a Kryptonian. You have super senses. <laughs> like, you, you couldn't hear something that was wrong in his voice. You, you couldn't x-ray. You literally let the worst thing happen because you were just kind of, like, going wrong with your hormones. We would like to point out that, like, the fact that she has x-ray vision and all he had was, like, some holograph projection. Yeah. He's wearing full costume the whole time. It wasn't like he was sitting there and he's like, all right, now to p- summon my helmet. He, like, it literally like swipes away like mysterio and it's like haha i've been a giant like dude with a freaking helmet on the whole time yeah and you didn't notice yeah i Did am you- starting to see some parallels between this and uh far from home <laughs> <laughs> it started to pop up but uh yeah it's it's every so often every single twist is accompanied by like another hero going like yeah i saw that coming it's just like but you did nothing, nothing for it you did nothing to avert this how are you seeking justice when it's just like, well, you know, justice has to happen after the fact, man. It, could, could we all agree that even though the premise of the thing is that they want to be a proactive Justice League in the wake of, like, JLA Elite? No, instead, or JL Elite, they wound up, all of them, reacting to stuff that had happened to each one personally after the fact. They're yeah. all trying to figure out who did something to them, not like, let's stop this person that's robbing these things. No, like, someone wronged me. Who did it? And probably like the I want worst justice. of them was was it Ray Palmer? Yeah, Ray Palmer, the Adam. Because it was like one of his friends went missing. And at the time, I thought it was Ryan Choi, but it was actually just one of his old friends from continuity, just like a random long gone. Yeah, yeah. I mean, there was a lot. Again, if you're a big DC fan, there's a lot of nods to like old school continuity. Like they had the original Flash in there, and a mention of a character from there. Three characters. They had the Flash Museum in there too. Like yeah, the three characters from his old supporting act, the guys with the freaking um, the duffel bowl hats. Um, yeah, like those were characters from his original run that hadn't been mentioned forever. And now it's like, well, they're all dead because this person killed them. And they were guarding the museum. So it's like, oh, that's what they've been up to. Okay. So there's a lot of, like I said, this really is a love letter to what was going on in the DC universe. It was just so badly written. But then we have Ray Palmer extracting justice in some of the most horrific ways where he's literally going up people's noses and and then giving them the worst Stomping on their heads. Just like kicking their brains. All right. I've got to point out the hypocrisy in both this. Um... As far as it goes, like with Rayden Palmer stomping people's heads, because not that long ago, it was about three years back, they did Identity Crisis, which the whole thing of Identity Crisis was a mystery of who killed Gene Loring, um, the elongated man's wife. And you come to find out that it was Ray Palmer's ex-wife who just wanted to scare the heroes. So she had a shot. So they getting, would stay home with their wives. So, right? so they would stay home with their wives. And at this time, it was his ex-wife. So he thought that would. She thought that's what would rekindle the romance. Except she miscalculated and stepped on the wrong nerve and created like a grand mall seizure in Gene Loring. And then to hide the body, set them on fire because. Of course, when she goes small, not trying to harm anyone, she brings a flamethrower. Cause, yeah. Because <laughs> for protection, even though she's not hurting anyone, supposedly. So she sets the body on fire, and they think it's Dr. Light. And 
you'll probably wind up getting into Identity Crisis. Oh, we're going let... to hit that one, too, because like I said, it I, everyone loved it at the time. It aged so, so badly. badly. But, yeah, it's, it's so now Ant-Man's coming down. He's just, I'm not Ant-Man. Shit. I'm, <laughs> I'm in the Marvel U. <laughs> Did I mention I'm not a DC guy? <laughs> Ant-Man. Scott Lang was there, and he was like, hey, whatever. <laughs> He's like, I'm just playing my drums with my giant Ant-Man. <laughs> That would actually have been a lot better than some of the stuff we got. No, instead we got the Adam going around like, I'm going to give you a sinus. I'm going to waterboard you Ant-Man style. Adam style. <laughs> See, got me doing it. Yeah, I'm doing it. I'm doing it. <laughs> Adam There's style. Small, tiny characters. But yeah, it's... And I, I, I'm almost thinking like we started off with all the character, main Justice Leaguers that we mentioned that were part of this story. And then we've done nothing but talk about Animal Man, John of Troy, Starfire. We've talked about uh, Ray Palmer. Uh, Hawk Girl shows up for a little bit, That's and she does some big stuff. The main characters don't do anything because the entire ca- series. The characters that James Robinson chooses do absolutely jack all they're throughout just, this whole thing. Not just, even Green Lantern really does anything. They're just playing catch up to the entire series. Like they always pop up. It's like after this, or like we need to go respond to this action, and then somebody else will be there ahead of them constantly. Yeah, it, it's like if someone took their action figure box. And they shook it up really badly, and they didn't jump it out, like, dump it out like it was, like, in a big fight scene. They just dumped it out onto, like, a Shakespearean play. (laughs) (laughs) It's just, you've got everyone posturing and and talking and stuff like that. Nothing makes sense. Everything is boring. And apparently it changed the DC universe in some pretty massive ways, too, because Star City got blown up. Roy Hopper's daughter and Ollie Queen's granddaughter get like dead murdered it's it's like the consequences of this are so far reaching and big that when you go back and read the source material you're really like the only thing that i needed to read in this was were these two prometheus issues and then like, and the last was, and the last issue i guess because you get the real what it was all building for and what they were all trying to prevent and although they did yeah. a really awful job and i'll even say this even that last prometheus issue was it issue six or five or, or whatever it was like when he's countering everybody, it literally is an entire issue where different heroes are attacking him, like maybe two, one or two per page, and all he's doing is just like, aha, you can't do that because I got this. Haha, I thought of this. It's, not, it's not even him. It's 22 it's, pages of him just countering. It's not even him. It's a little thought bubble that says, like, administering, like, oh, here's a cold villain administering heat blast. Oh, super speed administering, like, it's like James Robinson, wink, wink. I thought of everything, bitches. Like, yeah, but I mean, like, after, like, three panels, like, we get it. You could have just shown, like, all the heroes splayed out and moved the story if along. If he was a dungeon master, everyone would leave that fucking game. Like, just be <laughs> like, okay, so there's no dice roll I can do that actually. I mean, I mean in all fairness, a series of seven issues, it probably could have been done in five. It could have been done in five. Uh, I mean, it's no heroes in crisis. But. <laughs> Don't get me started, Nick. <laughs> but they really could have cut out a lot of fat from this. Um, we got a couple awards that we're going to give this one because uh, we, we every, do. every time we go into one of these terrible series, we have a couple awards that we want to uh, give these comics uh, just to kind of solidify it in our minds and our hearts, uh, just how terrible they are. And while I might never read this again, I will always have a special place for me. As far as our first award goes, the Fizzle Reel, where we look at the single worst moment in this comic, uh, I think what I'm going to give it to, and I think, Bruno, you're in, you're in with me too, is that no matter how everything is crazy, how the characters make no sense, how the plot just kind of plods along and just happens, the biggest fizzle reel is a combination of events. Yes. And it actually is every time a character mentions or speaks about justice. I'll drink to that. <laughs> there you go. Bruno's taking his tequila. <laughs> if he starts shooting pistols off, <laughs> just know that's not thunder. <laughs> when did I become Yosemite Sam? Well, yeah. Is that a short choke? No, it's a, that was more I was looking at your fair Portuguese skin and I was making some bad Mexican racism. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> Wait, why did you simply say I become a Mexican? I said Portuguese skin. <laughs> I don't know where it goes from there. I, the inner workings of your mind scare me sometimes, <laughs> yeah. Nick. But yeah, Listen, I think every the building blocks that put it together. <laughs> you are fair enough. You are my new Speedy Gonzalez. You said me say. 
Gracias, señor. <laughs> if you want to throw a Polish joke out, hey, I'm gay. <laughs> but we'll get to that when we get to it, damn it. Right now is not the time, because we've got our next one coming up. Should have swiped left. This is for <coughs> those characters who had these romances that just never panned out. They were doomed to fail, both in the minds of the readers, the editors, uh, just about everybody. Like, this is they, no sense whatsoever. Bruno, what, what one? Our should have swiped left award. I think that the one one is quite literally the main one. Uh, the so, only relationships. Uh, there's one later on, sort of. Uh, we get to hear their <laughs> mute cute, their meet cute story. But uh, the winner goes to uh, Supergirl and uh, Captain Marvel or uh, Shazam. Freddie Freeman. Shazam. Freddie Freeman. Freddie Shazam. Freeman. Shazam. Prometheus. Shazam. Uh, yeah. For having the world's worst love triangle, <laughs> the what, was there a triangle there? Well, it, it was. It turns out you got Supergirl, you got Frey Freeman, and then there's Prometheus. I mean, there's two, there's three people involved. Which Supergirl totally knows like all the time and just lets everything happen. So it's Su- just- Supergirl had like the world's worst blonde girlfriend moment. Like, and it doesn't help that she is a blonde. Where it's like I've been cheating you. I knew it the whole time. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like, what? is not a double down on it like that does not give you a strength of power it just makes you seem really weird for oh, not yeah? doing anything you about think it. you got this you think i let you have this knowing full well what you were <laughs> you, you take this you take this i got your number i know who you are i see you the real you <laughs> that's that's literally what it was except she didn't see the real him because the real him was the bad guy that they were searching for all along they're literally buddy buddy with him and she's like, hmm, maybe I shouldn't bring him on the Watchtower or, or the Justice League satellite. But something is telling me that in order for this plot to progress and us to stop talking about justice, I'm going to have to do this. So it's like a meta, just like, let's just get this shit over with. And then what's our honorable mention? Oh, our honorable mention is the meet cute story. Um, now... In those awesome uh, Prometheus issues that uh, we didn't really get too much into, we had uh, Prometheus kind of, you know, typical mad villain fashion, go over his his whole plan, um, minus the big details about, like, what is actually going to go down, but explaining, like, how he's behind everything, and the heroes will never see it coming, and he's explaining it to this little-known DC character called IQ, and explains that, now I'm going to give you a little brief breakdown of the story because i think this is a perfect time to talk about prometheus and the glory yeah, that was Prometheus. absolutely because this was the best issue in this whole world. yeah the whole thing about this was basically bringing prometheus back on the center stage as a real player and the reason for that is that we have to kind of go back into a little bit of uh, prometheus's background so prometheus started uh with grant morrison when they were doing new year's evil and they were trying to do a vi- like villain-centric event where every like issue of the main series had, you know, like a issue dedicated to them. So you had one with Grodd and so on. And this was his answer to the JLA. Their new villain was going to be the anti-Batman. So Prometheus story, as we find out, this he has an He's never named. We, we don't know whose real identity is. But he was raised by criminals. His mom and pop were like... I. They don't even say what kind of criminal. Like, because they get caught in a, like, shootout, like, Thumb and Louie style. Guns, right? Like, yeah. Like, they had guns and they were robbing a store. Like, a 7-Eleven. But <clears throat> he makes it sound like they've been career criminals. So, like, I guess they're just henchmen. So, they've done everything from, like, you know, the James Bond scene. I'm almost wondering, since they made so many parallels between him and Batman, like, they robbed a movie theater. Like, probably. <laughs> like, like, like It's like, if thing. there's a crime, his parents were involved in it, and they taught him that, like, you know, being the villain is cool, son. And then he witnesses his parents on, like, a dime store robbery get shot out by cops. And declares vengeance, but not on the cops, which would make sense. He went full Batman, and anyone that supports the the side of good and justice is my enemy. It's not just these guys, it's all of them. So instead of killing all of these cops, he's just like, I'm going to go everyone. And what's the biggest champions of justice? The Justice League. Mm-hmm. So uh, when, we intro- when we're introduced, they're the Justice League, being that they're both superheroes but also like celebrities in their world they're having this contest where they introduce like a local hero and bring them up into the jla satellite which the only way you can get into the jla satellite is if you're invited in 
because otherwise you have to have like a cute like they know your dna so that people don't just go in there and blow up the jla satellite like it's a death star um and so he pretends to be this hero who gets invited for the day of triumph he had killed the dude and he same thing that he did so he pulled the trick twice yeah um except the first time he did it he like went just white hair no no co- like the triumph costume everything else was hidden underneath and that was in Grant Morrison's... Uh, Grant Morrison's JLA run, which was phenomenal. <clears throat> um, and he proceeds to just besmirch and just smack down the entire Justice League. Because these are the ability he has. He has a key that can teleport him outside to this ghost zone that's like outside of space and time. And he, um, with all the money that he took from his parents, so apparently they were successful robbers up until they got shot at that convenience store... Um, he studied martial arts and fighting just like Batman, all the skills, but he created a device that allows him to be like this version of, uh, DC's version of Taskmaster, where if he sees someone's fighting style, he can, <coughs> using the power of CD-ROM, <laughs> he can take a, a disc, Dalmatians on the CD-ROM. <laughs> he can take a disc and just put it up, put it in and download the hero's abilities onto it and then fight just like any fighter so he proceeds to you know using all these high-tech things just like he did in this series take down the justice league just he tells the flash that uh he sprayed the flash down with something and if the flash runs faster than the set speed he'll trigger a bunch of bombs that'll take out the satellite you know using all these cool defense mechanisms and then he gets to batman and you know jla's grant morrison's big run was anytime there's trouble batman saves the day yeah <clears throat> so Batman comes down and it's like, all right, you've taken everyone down. It's my turn. And he looks in like one of the most coolest badass moments and he's like, but Batman, you're on here too. And proceeds to just destroy Batman. Every move Batman has, he counters and just beats Batman senseless. Well, unbeknownst to all of them, Batman had brought his booty call Catwoman to visit the JLA. Because she was kind of an honorary member at that time. And so he's used to all these grand posturing superheroes. Catwoman looks at him. Tries to fight him, not doing so well. Takes out her cat whip and just cracks him in the balls with the whip. So he was defeated by not wearing a cup. Because <laughs> down he went like a sack of potatoes. Just, oh, my crotch. With a cracked nut. Right? <clears throat> and then it's a... Uh, I- I think after that there was like an imposter guy. It was a Prometheus 2. Well, there was, there was one more time where he pulled this whole thing and he once again got to the Justice League satellite because that was his thing. And his helmet got damaged, and he stole the original helmet, which was left behind the first time he was beaten. And Batman had been tinkering with it. And he's like, "Fine, he's like, I've got this. It's like this is my grand plan. You guys are about to get beaten." And he's like, "Batman, he's like, you know, I gotta admit it. You're really good. This is the second time you've done this. I gotta give you your props. Like, it even took me a month to figure out your technology, but you know, last month I cracked it." And uh, I left you with a little surprise in there. That helmet that you have on has only one fighter on it. I've replaced all the moves in there with the abilities of Stephen Hawking's. So all of a sudden, he pu- he turns on the helmet, not realizing it, and down he goes, and he completely paralyzed. Yep. After he's beaten, Martian Manhunter. This is right after Identity Crisis. Mind wipes him, sends his brain out into limbo. And he's basically a vegetable in some hospital. And some imposter comes on this. Apparently, we didn't know he was doing this whole cult of, um, you know, Prometheus. And the guy that he was training, his second in command, took over and was a joke. And just constantly getting beaten. And then with Martian Manhunter dying in Final Crisis, this was the grand return. He, he explains that in these very issues that his mind came back. And he started working his way up to these heroes. So he kills... There's a very long way of getting to the meat cube, but he kills these heroes from the Global Guardians, uh, Gloss, and one of them was Tasmanian Devil. And you see this bearskin rug, and uh, he's talking to I- um, IQ, his new henchman in this storyline, and he's like, you see that that bearskin rug yet? It used to be a superhero. Well, Starman, our big gay blue alien, <laughs> who uh, comes in and... Uh, Later on, uh, turns out that later in the JLA history, right before New 52, they go ahead and take that bearskin rug, put it in a Lazarus pit. Back comes Tasmanian Devil, who also happens to be a a gay superhero, I'd say a bear, if you will. Um, Mm. And him and Starman become 
the new like power couple of the Justice League. So so there we go. So that's Our the honorable, honorable mention, mention was the gay blue alien and the bearskin rug. That is the longest damn honorable mention ever. But you know what? That makes a perfect post-wedding video <laughs> where you go back and see the highlights. And I'm actually going to go ahead and throw them. Uh, we kind of double-dipped right there. Silver Lining, where we talk about the best moment. I mentioned it before is the Prometheus issues, especially that one where he's talking to IQ. And actually, with IQ, he had set him for the mental acuity of what? Uh, like a, a third a, grader or something? Yeah, third grader. He basically explains his grand master plan, as all superheroes do, to the guy who helped him build all this stuff, because... IQ or Ira Quimby's big thing, besides looking like a producer from the 50s with an ascot and flying skis, um, was that he was super intelligent. And so he's like, well, you just told me everything. And it's like, oh, I'm not worried about it. I poisoned your drink. And it's like, (laughs) I've I've given you, like, super retardation (laughs) now. And you're basically like a three-year-old. So he's just sitting there like, and that's... The, like the end of IQ. He was so, like talking about the food he was eating. Like, oh, soup. <laughs> like, yeah, it's soup. It's, <laughs> just go ahead and take it, IQ. You're good. But that was like, and and I think that's the only time this whole series had any kind of focus whatsoever. Well, because it was basically br- trying to make Prometheus not a joke anymore. Yeah, if this could have been like a Prometheus miniseries. It would have been a really. It could have been a really good Prometheus miniseries. Yeah, because instead they they made it a bullshit Justice League one. Well, yeah, it was supposed to be a Justice League story, and then mm-hmm. they decided let's do it a miniseries and see how it goes. And then they still gave him a Justice League series. I don't know why. Although <laughs> he did get uh, nominated for best writing, they did not win though. Thankfully. <laughs> oh God, it burns. <laughs> Yep, and uh, really our dis- most dishonorable demise we have in this whole thing, uh, the the award we give for the, the deaths that, oh, why did this have to happen in this? It's got to be a tie, because they're technically one and the same. They really are. It, it It's the death of Star City. Death of Star City, and also Leanne. Roy Hopper's family. Yeah, Leanne also, Harper. Also, Holly Queen's family. Yep, uh, the Green Arrow's unofficial granddaughter and Roy Harper's daughter which is really sad because the whole issue or the whole series led to the rise of prometheus as an actual a star player and the demise of everything that made uh speedy slash arsenal slash now red arrow it was like basically taking away the red arrow because i mean at one point he was a single father a full-time superhero in a new relationship with you know a prominent um, hero, Hawk Girl, and just living the life that, like, like he was Green Arrow without all the baggage. Yeah. And now they're just like, let's double down on the baggage. So in the same time, he loses his arm, which good luck being like, yeah, you working can't shoot in, up with that. Now you can't use an arrow. Well, you, you <clears throat> can shoot up, but you can't shoot an arrow. Oh, well, <laughs> that's a little foreshadowing. My that was friends. a little foreshadowing. But <laughs> you can't, you can shoot, you can't shoot an arrow. You're not very good with a bow if you don't have two arms. Uh, and then he loses the thing that held him together, which was his daughter. And it was in such a fashion. It was also really messed up because she was in a high tower, and like that's the only body that was like there. When, like forget all the other people yeah. that died. It's like that is it. We just found her. And everyone else. Mm. But yeah, it was ninety thousand casualties, and she somehow was like one of the ones that didn't get vaporized. Yeah. And uh, also, kind of like before we head out, one thing I want to mention. Uh, another big silver lining, aside from the Prometheus issue, was the fact that each one of these issues had back matter to it. Now, when I read this digitally the first time, I didn't have it, but when I got my hard copies from eBay, this was the best part of the series to me, was getting to read how James Robinson chose every character specifically to ignore, yeah. <laughs> basically. I-, I will be honest with you. If he won the best writing, it was probably for that content because yeah. that was look like he actually wrote it. The rest of the issues, I swear, he got like his five year old to be a ghostwriter because the, it the, was bad. One of the best though was when he went on talking about how much he loved Batwoman as a concept, and it's just like this whole page where he's going off talking about his love for the character Batwoman, and then he's just like, "I wish I could have incorporated her more." She was on like two or three of the covers, and and she showed up for two pages and like that's it. Issue five. She was on the first issue cover. She only showed up for two pages. Well, issue five. A, a lot of the stuff, like you read it, and I was like, "Wow, he really gets the character." Where the hell was that in the book? None of it. 
Like he talked None about translated. He talked about Freddie Freeman, which that in and of itself was just a disaster because this was fresh off of um, the original Billy Batson is now Sh- the Wizard Shazam, and Freddie Freeman is Cap or Shazam or Captain Marvel, the new champion. So there's no more Captain Marvel Junior because he used to go by CM three at one point. He's no, he's now officially Shazam or Captain Marvel. And there's a whole thing where it's just like he accidentally just says Shazam, and no one picks up on it. <clears throat> And then they're like, even Supergirl is like, oh, we don't even know what your code name is anymore or what the magic word you use to transform is. It's changed so much. So, I mean, a lot of the characterization is lost. But when you read these things, which really wasn't included in the trade paperback either, you actually have to get They the really individual. should have. They should have been like, you know what? Uh, we should start with this and then treat the regular series as back matter. Because like for, because the least engaging part of this. No, no. But what, what happened is with the when you buy the trade paperback, like that's it, which is really shame because I think it would have raised the page count higher. And I think that's why they didn't do it. But the individual issues for this one are well worth seeking out. Because, I mean, you have the origins of the characters. If you don't know what they are, you have, like, a one-page origin. You have the breakdown of, like, his introduction to the characters, why he fell in love with them, what he wanted to use them for, and what his potential future plans were for them, which most of them never came to be. Because even in the series, that's not what happened with them. Yeah. But, yeah, that was definitely the silver lining. I think it made up for all the, I guess we got one more word, crisis and continuity. Which is just his character development throughout this. None of these characters, even ones that we didn't know, didn't seem consistent. Like, yeah, they didn't seem like the characters that you would have read if someone else had written them. No. Uh, and they actually all seemed very generic in what they were doing. So as we come down to the end here, uh, last time we did Ultimatum, we Bruno chose a really apt counterpart to this. So we kind of mashed them together. We have an entire city being destroyed. Whereas Magneto dropped a friggin' tidal wave on New York City. This time, it's Star City just blowing up. We've got, like, a hodgepodge of heroes. Even though I feel like Ultimatum really did a better job keeping everything segmented. Whereas this is, like, everyone's just kind of coming in and cycling through. There's no focus whatsoever, really, in either of them. No. But this one specifically. Well, the problem with the other one mm-hmm. is that the it was just so much action beats with Ultimatum that you didn't have, like, a single focus. Because, I mean, there was stuff in there that would have been its own series. But like, it, there was action. There was action. Well, that. I mean, like, look uh, at the look at Thor and Captain America in the other world. That alone should have been its own spinoff series, and it would have been amazing. But they tried to jam it into there. Whereas this one, we're <laughs> stuck with an artist who's really good at making posters, but, but cannot draw a punch. No. To save <laughs> to his save life. To save his life. And, and then so you, it's just nothing but, like, yeah, that happened off-panel. So it's just like... As bad an ultimatum was that so many heroes died off panel. I mean, even all of the action in Cry for Justice happens off panel, except for when there's another artist. On. I mean, even Javelin when he gets there's a, a a scene where he just knocks out a bunch of D-list heroes and Javelin, your my, my my boy, your boy my MVP. He's just like they're like, what are up? What's up with all these losers? And it's like Javelin ain't no loser. Javelin's a winner. I'm gonna show you how. And he gets up and throws surprise a Javelin. You don't see the throw. Just a, a, a splash page. Next scene, he's knocked the hell yep. out again. That's it. That is That's it. the entire scene. It's like, Javelin a loser. Let me show you why. Cue to Javelin on the floor being knocked out. Uh, now, Cassioli, was it in your contract that you, <laughs> you were specifically barred from drawing anything? I mean, I, I, feel, of, uh, I, I feel like this was almost kind of like someone's bet. Like, look, okay, we're going to give you a Justice League series. You can't use any of the main players. You. Give you the Justice League artwork. You can't He's throw like a single. Sore. You can't throw a single punch or do a single action shot. You have to make everything happen off panel, but make it look good. So lots of posters. Yep. And probably my favorite parallel between Ultimatum and this one was at the end of Ultimatum, the Thing leaves to go to lot various. He's like, oh, I'm just gonna go out and get a pack of smokes. That he kind of like leaves at the end and then crushes Doom's skull in his hands in like this really bloody, gory death. Whereas this one, Green Arrow is just like. I'm going to be right back. I'll, I'll be right back. I'm going to go get a pack of smokes. <laughs> the same thing. It's always like... It's just like, like I'm going to be out. Even, like, I know we're looking for this guy, but I'm going to go get a pack of smokes. Y'all keep doing what you're doing. You, you'll find him. You'll find him. Then he goes into Prometheus's pocket dimension and shoots an arrow straight through his brain. All right. I have to point out that there is something, a little bit of, um, I guess, behind the pages. So this book was actually plagued with... I don't know why, because it wasn't the artwork... And it wasn't the dialogue, <laughs> but it was plagued with delays. So it was originally supposed to finish before Darkest Night. But issues one through six happened before Darkest Night. 
or actually I think one through five, and then six came around during the time that Blackest Night was going on. Issue seventh actually occurs right after the event of Blackest Night. So all the heroes are actually busy with something. They're not just like, oh, okay. So when he says, I'm gonna get a pack of smokes, he's literally the only one looking for Prometheus. But somehow, as a dude that's just got bow and arrows, he not only finds a way to an ultra dimension that escapes time and space, but is able to go there without the other guy knowing and put an arrow right through his head and leave him there. Mm -hmm. Which sets up the follow-up series perfectly because yeah. even within the follow-up to this, there is no continuity between these characters. I, I gotta put one last point on continuity while we're going at it. What really bugs me about this entire continuity, we touched on one, but in the Justice League, there are certain things that should be red flags. Like, if Superman gets too angry, someone should worry. So, when you've got the Atom going around stomping in people's heads, when not more than a couple years back, his ex-wife killed a member by stomping on their head doing accidentally, the same thing. accidentally doing the same thing, and he's just doing it like... Hey, waterboarding's fun. This is better than waterboarding. Yeah, like, she cool. was she was an untrained waterboarder. You you kind of almost I've been feel, doing I've been waterboarding my whole life. I can do this. In all fairness, when that scene when um when Prometheus turns it back on him and makes him look uh, makes it so that there's nanobites in his system doing the same thing to him, you kind of feel like he deserved it. Yeah. And then you've got Green Lantern, which is the scare because he's he's what kicks this whole series off. He's like, I want justice for my fallen friends. It's like I want blood. I'm gonna. I'm not taking this whole like and showing where was up he after. At the end? <laughs> yeah. He, oh, he was gone by the end. But he's like, I want blood. This won't do. I'm gonna go ahead. And actually, at the end, he was just like, Well, Ollie, you can't have blood. But like, he's, he's like, I want blood. And nobody's worried because again, cue a couple of events back. The last time he did that. He tried to bring back Coast City, and then he went ahead and murdered the Green Lantern Corps and a bunch of heroes. Nobody was worried that the red flag, like, yo, he's getting too angry again. He might start killing some people. Mm. We should keep an eye on that. No, there's just like, no, we, we don't agree with you. That's it. Like, very, very, like, kind of, like, nerdish responses. No, we don't agree with you. Yeah. That's it. And with that being said, like, I feel like the biggest sin this series creates is the sin of like shocking mediocrity yeah like the only reason this even gets brought up <coughs> was the consequences and the fallout of it this was so boring of a read that it's hard for me to in, in good faith as someone who loves bad comics to even recommend anyone read it so with that being said you could read it if you want to i would say honestly the great thing about this and the only thing that makes it worthwhile is the artwork so like for real if you want a really cool yeah. book with pictures that and will the back draw matter. And, the, and the back matter get it get it off ebay you can get it for like eight bucks for the entire series just read the back matter Flip through the pictures, see some cool gorilla things before the gorilla things don't happen anymore. Yeah, and then just some hot chicks in bikinis. Yeah, never, never hurts. So now we're gonna go ahead and sign off. Thank you so much for joining us for our second episode of Oh God It Burns. My name was Nick. My name is Bruno. And uh, next time when we come back in two short weeks, we're gonna actually follow up with uh, kind of like a redemption arc because. I was not thrilled with this book. Oh, but it lets so us something so I was like, so Bruno, much. Bruno, dude, like, we got to do something that I like. It has to be terrible, but it has to be so damn terrible that it tickles that little spot inside of me. So, Bruno, what's the one we're reading next? Uh, we're definitely reading The Rise of Arsenal. All of this was leading to Rise of Arsenal. There was no one without the other. So, Rise of Arsenal, the real main course yeah. of Cry for Justice. Th we'll be talking about next time on... Oh god, it burns.